Welcome to the I Am Somebody podcast. This is a collaborative project between Focus Recovering Wellness Community, NAMI Hancock County, LGBTQ Plus Spectrum of Finley, and other volunteers. In this podcast, we hear recovery stories from people who suffer from mental health conditions, substance use, and trauma. We also hear from service providers, family members, and other community supporters of recovery. The subject matter of this podcast may be difficult for some listeners. The views and opinions expressed on the I and Somebody podcast are those of individuals being recorded and do not necessarily reflect the official policies or positions of the partnering agencies. Stick around after the podcast for information on local and national resources for mental health, substance use, and trauma services. I am somebody. 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 I'm Elizabeth, and I am somebody. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the I Am Somebody podcast. I'm Amanda, and today our episode contains material of a highly sensitive nature, including domestic violence and sexual assault that may be triggering to some listeners. Today, we have Larissa joining us as a co-host. Howdy. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, can we laugh? (laughs) Sorry. Yeah, no, I don't know. I was just, I just, you know, was trying to say hey. Yeah, Yeah, I love it. So and then and then I got looked at, you know, <laughs> well, for the gonna, for the context s- of the room here. I said howdy, and everyone went dead silent, and they stared at me. <laughs> I just I was wasn't gonna, sure if we were allowed to laugh. No, no, no. Please laugh. <laughs> I, I was going to ask how you were today, so I was getting ready oh. to say Larissa. <laughs> are you asking now? Then yeah, how are you? Today? Oh, okay, yeah, um, yeah, uh, pretty good. You know, um, the sun's shining, the birds are chirping. Um, we were talking about birding before this, so <laughs> you know. Oh, yes. Um, hi. So we are here. <laughs> Can we just start that? <laughs> no, I love so, it. I love sorry, it. Sorry, because sometimes sometimes you do all the introducing and then sometimes you're like <laughs> Well today I'm letting you take charge. Okay, all right. <laughs> so do you want to start the whole thing over? I feel like that was like pristine content. Yeah, it so was. We just was. gotta roll with yeah, it. Okay. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So all right. Yes, I'm Larissa. Yep. Okay. So we are joined with a super, super, super special guest today. Um, I would like to welcome Elizabeth Walsh to the podcast. Hello. Hello. How are you doing today? I am fantastic. Excellent. Excellent. Um, well, I figure we could we could just go ahead and dive right in here. Yeah. Unless, yeah. Uh, yeah. So I guess I guess my my first thing here. Um, you know what 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 inspired you to share your story with us here today? Yeah. So. I am a survivor of domestic and sexual violence, um, and I think it was just really important for me to share that having lived experience didn't limit what I could do with my career, and if anything, it it really led me to what I wanted to do, um, and I think it's really important to talk about how to take care of employees and, and coworkers that have lived experience and yeah. kind of talking to agencies that want to hire folks with lived experience and maybe don't know how to support them best. Yeah. So is awesome yeah. i'm very excited yeah. For this. yeah that's the goal um <laughs> i was gonna say well i figure you sound pretty prepared and ready to go so if you would like to yeah. jump in wherever wherever yeah. you would like to, wherever <laughs> you'd like to begin this journey yeah. i am along for the ride i feel like i feel like it's easier to actually start backwards so like i'd rather talk about like where i'm at now and then kind of move yeah backwards okay. a little bit um sure we're here so for it. Yeah. yeah so um I currently work at The Cocoon, which is a domestic and sexual violence agency. Um, I am a prevention educator, so I go into schools and teach kids, like, why we shouldn't hurt each other. That's literally Um, the job I applied for. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) 
That's so funny. Uh, yeah, no. Well, sorry. that's why that's you didn't funny. get it. Yeah, yeah, had, no, because someone better people, was. Yeah, yeah, and you had yeah. someone on the inside. No, not yeah. better. I just had people well, on the yeah. inside. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so that's what I do at the cocoon. And <laughs> sorry, that's so funny. <laughs> I almost spit out my drink. Oh, uh, that's hilarious. Yeah, great. Yeah. We're all meant to be where we're at. Yeah, so. no, for sure, for sure. Yeah, that's just funny. Full circle yeah, moment full here. Yeah, full circle, yeah. Um, great, yeah, yeah carry so, on. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I've been doing that for about a year, and uh, while I was doing that, I was also working on my um, master's in social work, so I'm going to the University of Toledo right now. Woohoo, go so, Rockets! Yay, yeah. social work! <laughs> Promote that social work, you know? Yeah. Um, so while I was at the Cocoon, I was also doing my internship there, um, so I was working in the shelter and so I really got to see a side of the agency that a lot of people don't get to see because it is confidential and private and things like that and um, I think doing that work has really given me space ironically to like process my own stuff and so like I was originally gonna try to do this podcast about a year ago and I just wasn't in the right space and after working at this agency again it seems kind of backwards but like working with other survivors really gave me the space to process what I had gone through. And I feel like I'm in a, in a place now to share some of that. Um, Awesome. Yeah. Sorry. I've got a thought like just on the cusp of it's like, it's like work it. It's it's working. Um, (laughs) (laughs) It worked its way out. It's gone now. Yeah. (laughs) Sorry. No, it it felt good though. It felt good. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So, Um, I guess like another tidbit is that going into this next school year, which will be my last year in my program, um, I'm doing my internship at the Children's Resource Center, um, but I'm only working with kids that work with the cocoon. So I'm spending all my time with survivors, but half of it is clinical work with young folk. I don't personally love the, the term blessed, but I definitely feel privileged to be able to do both sides of it where I can do prevention work and I can yeah. do the clinical work right. and I can really see that continuum of care really follow through. I'm really grateful that I've been able to work with kids because that is really where my passion is. Cause I feel like a lot of times advocacy agencies are only able to support the adult survivors and not right. the children survivors. Yeah. Um, and being a child survivor myself, like that really made an important impact on me to to have people in my life supporting me through that time. Yeah, so. yeah. And I feel like especially we don't really we don't really like talk about like this umbrella in in regards to kids. Mm-hmm. At least like in my experience, like we're generally, you know, I mean, there's like a, a stereotype of people that mm-hmm. that kind of fit this mold. Yep. Um. So like that's really awesome that you're able to to work with kids. It's like yeah, children are important. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and like. Um, so I started off working in mental health, um, here in Hancock County, and I really saw some of the parents struggling with their own mental health. And a lot of times it was because of the trauma they dealt with as children. And so to help kids while they're still kids, while they're still dealing with that trauma, rather than having to wait until they're adults, you know, like that, that's the ideal situation. Yeah. I mean, especially because kids are such like quick learners and like, you know, those little brains are like sponges, Mm -hmm. man. Positive and negative. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And so like to be able to process that kind of stuff with them while they're in the thick of it, that's really, that's what I'm trying to do. Wow. That's really awesome. That's amazing. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, so, like, this summer I'm doing case management, um, and then in the fall I'll start doing therapy because I'll have my student licensure. Um, and mm-hmm. so right now we're just kind of building up that caseload, trying to, you yeah. know, build the rapport and then start digging in in the fall. Um, so, yeah, and I, I guess to kind of 
talk a little bit about like how my experience has led me here. So in terms of the domestic violence, that was a relationship that my mother had that I observed. I was never um, physically abused in that respect, but yeah. um, I definitely was a bystander in all of it. And I don't think we recognize, like we were just saying, like kids absorb so much, right? And so like, even though I was not the person that was being physically harmed or even emotionally harmed, it still affected me. Yeah, and absolutely. You know, like, sorry, I just no. like that really like that really, yes, because I that's I feel like that's another thing that we, we you know, I'm so glad you're here, yeah. you know? But another thing that we don't Thanks talk about in our show. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you really know what you're talking about. Yeah. Uh, no, but yeah, I mean, I feel like, yeah, the, I feel like we really don't talk about like how that impacts kids because mm -hmm. I mean, like I, like that resonates with me as well. That, mm -hmm. um, yeah, sorry. I just no, like, this and just really well, like, I'm not, my, my brain is just busy now yeah. and my words are not. But And what's hard is that like, I think as a society, but also even as like mental health providers, we don't recognize the impact it has on kids. And so we don't really know what to do about it and how to treat it, you no. know, and and then it turns into this idea, which I can get into a little bit, that what I experienced didn't matter as much as what my mom experienced. That's what I was just thinking about was like, you know, that we definitely don't provide the same supports to, no. pe to people that are, are witness to, mm -hmm. to these types of events. Yeah. Um, when like it is still just as impactful. Absolutely. Yeah. And and like for me, even more so was was the aftermath. Right. Because, you know, once once we left him it was just me and her, you yeah. know? And so like that impact as a whole, we don't have time today. Yeah. <laughs> right. But she said so, you weren't busy right. till this afternoon. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know, it's, it's that whole idea that um, even what happens after the separation can be traumatic and, and usually is, you know, yeah. and, and even like for our folks that do have to come to our shelter, I think a lot of times community members that don't know anything about domestic violence assume that, you know, once they leave that abusive partner, that's where the trauma ends. And if anything, <laughs> it just ruminates, right? Like yeah, it just, right. it continues in there. At that point, the problem is they're having to fight their own brain, you know, because they might still love that person. They might still be reliant on that person for a lot of their needs. And yeah. so to take them away from that person can be almost harder because they've learned to cope with that abusive partner. Yeah. And so to not be able to use those coping skills in the same way, they feel you know, they, they just don't have the same routine, the same consistency. And sometimes it can be even more triggering to be away from that person. Um, and that's another thing we just don't, we don't talk about. No, no. Cause I mean, I know like in, in my line of work, even, you know, um, we see that people get very frustrated that it's mm -hmm. like, Hey, well, you know, if this situation's so bad, then why don't you leave? Like, mm -hmm. yeah, but it's not that easy. It's definitely not that easy. <laughs> and like, um, Funny enough, I was just doing a, a ride along with some um, police officers a couple weeks ago um, for my job, but I ended up talking to them about my experiences. And I explained to them that after, you know, the incident that caused the separation, we actually like moved w essentially with him to a different city that was like two hours away. And the cops were like, I just don't under like, why would your mom do that? Like they, they were finally separated. They were finally, you know, apart. Like, yeah. why, why did she follow him? And I'm like, well, she loved him, <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. at, at the time, at the time, like I was calling him dad, you know, so yeah. like, it's not that easy to just like cut the cord, you know, and, um, it's never that simple either, you know, because whatever, yeah. whatever you were dealing with in that moment that drew you to that person 
that's not healed overnight just because you're not with them anymore you know and so like that's another piece of it too is a, a lot of times with domestic violence there's trauma that led them to rely on that person in the first place you know yeah and so like dealing with the trauma before that person too is is a whole nother ball game right um yeah absolutely yeah so so really i um i want to in terms of my career like my goal is to help people that are dealing with that but also try to help professionals and how to deal with folks that are struggling because i think the problem is there just aren't enough you you know mental health workers but also just people in general that know how to support survivors and i think so many i mean the mental health system in general treats diagnoses and not trauma and so if we could focus more on what's happened to somebody rather than what they are or how they've been diagnosed we could actually make a difference yeah Yeah, because i mean especially trauma i mean like it 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 affects all aspects of our Mm -hmm. lives you know as much as we want to be like oh well that was like an old trauma response like let me just let me just knock that off real quick (laughs) like like those things are really like that's our like that's your fight or flight like that's your survival there like that stuff is really deeply deeply ingrained Mm -hmm. yeah um yeah and i'm sorry just i'm excited like professionally to to be here with you because like i'm excited to like learn a bit about like how how i can support people yeah so absolutely um and i i'm gonna be honest like i don't have all the answers you know but like i'm interested in finding them and that's definitely part of what i want to do with my my life and my career is is figuring out what the best way to handle it is you know and and i think a lot of it is you know, something that we talk about a lot in advocacy is finding the balance between self-directed treatment, right? Where the person says, this is what I'm struggling with and this is like what I need out of this. But also being able to have those tough conversations about if your perception is not accurate because of what you've experienced, right? Right. And that's the balance. And that's really, really hard because when someone has been dealing with trauma, dealing with abuse, their perception of reality is not always what the rest of us see, Yeah. right? And so how do you have those tough conversations about what you think is best for you is not always what I think is best for you. And neither yeah. one of us are right or wrong, but how do we have that conversation about why I think what I think and why you think what you think? Um, because I think so many times the you know, the reason that people get into advocacy work is usually because they have their own lived experience. So then- yeah their perspective isn't always accurate either you know Mm -hmm. and so like how do you just balance all of that and how do you work through it and and how do you take care of yourself through that as well because like yeah I mean we're jumping in pretty quick here but um (laughs) (laughs) um you know just the idea that um a lot of us get you know nobody walks off the street and is like you know what I want to do deal with people who've been abused like that's just not typical you know like a lot of us have lived experience a lot of us have either experienced it or have been secondary survivors, you know, anything like that. And so how do you support someone while they're going through the worst time in their life while it might be triggering you because of your worst time Mm -hmm. in your life? And then how do you um, support them without sacrificing your own needs? Um, And how do you also meet their needs without getting your perspective in the way? Right. And like, Again, I don't have those answers. Yeah, but well, that's what I'm, I'm like. To talk I'm about like it. getting quiet because I'm yeah. like sitting here and I'm thinking. And I'm like, man, like, I, wow, that is, yeah, I don't, mm-hmm. you know, you, I do my best, yeah. but like, right, <laughs> right. And I think really what I've learned is just checking in with yourself, checking in with the people you're working with, checking in with your clients, right? Like, um, 
and that's not easy sometimes, you know? And I would also say like for myself, I will, I'll be good for a really long time. And then one, one family will come up and I'm like, well, like that, like I, you know, you, you can cope for so long and you can be doing so good. And then that one family and you're like, well, okay, I guess today's the day that I need some time for myself, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And I think that's great. You bring that up because like, it can feel very frustrating um, when like healing from trauma like that to kind of, you know, I don't want to say like, think you've got it all together. And then, and then, you know, like you said, like that one family, that one person, that Mm -hmm. one, whatever. Um, And now you feel like you've, you've taken how many steps back? Like, you know, what am I even doing here? Because, you know, I can't help other people. I can't even help myself right right now. Exactly. Exactly. And that's really where I feel like agencies need to recognize if I'm coming to you and saying, I can't work with this family, you need to believe me and you need to help me figure out how to get these needs met of this family, but also take care of myself. Yeah. Cause that's really the issue systemically is that we don't have enough people doing the work and then they're like okay well too bad so sad like you're gonna have to do it anyway and it's like okay well that's that's what leads to burnout right is that idea that absolutely you know it's that idea that i i am not in a place to handle this but i don't have a choice like that that helplessness on on the professionals part yeah that's what leads to burnout no you know yeah absolutely absolutely yeah, I mean, it should it should be more. I don't want to say commonplace that you should you should be able to tap out. And right. I mean, I understand with like personnel things right. and staffing, right. like it's hard. But, it's very hard. But you know, again, like I, people with lived experience bring a lot of really great value, and like generally, like that's why people get into the field in the first place. Exactly. So like you yeah. know, yeah. like you, you being in this line of work, like you you need to. You need, you need to be prepared for this type yep, of thing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And that's what I think is funny is that, like, the Cocoon does an amazing job of that. We um, we really try to um, understand that all of our, I'm you know, I'm not going to say all, but, I'm again, most of our advocates are doing it because they've either experienced it or they've seen someone else experience it, right? right. And the Cocoon really does a great job of saying, you know, how are you doing? Not just how your clients are doing, you know, and how, how are you handling these situations? Because they recognize that every single person we talk to has trauma. Right. So that means inherently we're going to have secondary trauma. Right. Like, (laughs) you know, it's obvious, Yeah, you know, but for some reason, a lot of agencies don't recognize it. Yeah. Yeah. It it does seem to get skipped over um, Uh, a lot, (laughs) quite, quite a bit. Yeah. Um. (laughs) Yep. Well, and I think even just working with people in general, whether it's, you know, at a hospital or anything like, like it doesn't have to just be mental health. I feel like anytime you're dealing with people, you're dealing with trauma. Yeah. And oh, if you're sure. Es- yeah. Especially in, in these more like vulnerable, like, absolutely, you know, hospitals, generally people aren't going to the hospital because, Hey, I'm having, cause the, they're doing great. Yeah. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm having a great day. Right. Let me just right. go get things checked out at the ER. Right. Right. Like, like my, um, my supervisor at the children's resource center says all the time, she's like, we ask sick people to come to our doors and then we get mad cause they're sick. And it's yeah. like, Yes. <laughs> yes. Right. And it's like, okay, so we need to take ourselves out of this now and realize that like we're getting mad at what we asked for. Right. Yeah. You know, even, even sometimes working with survivors, you know, I think it's also hard cause we, we, we don't want to admit that we have the same thoughts that community members might have. Right. There are times that as trained advocates, we go, why the hell are they still with him? Why, why, why are they still with that person who's abusing them? Right. And I think what's hard is we try to ignore that and then it just makes it worse. So if we were better at, at admitting that we're not being perfect, that we're not, 
amazing all the time, we yeah. wouldn't burn out as quickly. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, I think that is like a super important piece. Like I know in my undergraduate program, we did a lot of time looking at like your implicit biases mm-hmm. and like all of that stuff, that stuff that like, you know, I mean, it's, it's like, it's, it's in there and right. it does affect things. Yep. And no matter how hard you try to just jam it down in there, like mm-hmm. I feel like it's like a box of those like springy worm <laughs> things. That yeah, like, the more you press it down, the more they spring yeah, up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that's the thing. Like if you just keep ignoring it, it never gets addressed. Right. Right. And so a big thing that we promote at the cocoon is having time to talk to your team, to, to talk to your supervisor. Right. And like in the moment, not a week or two later, you know, and, yeah. and that makes all the difference because then I'm not stuffing it over the weekend. I'm not keeping it to myself. I'm able to share it even, yeah. even the smallest thing, yeah. right? Because it builds up. And I, I know that that's made a huge difference while I've been at the cocoon because, yeah. because again, I've had people <laughs> who are like, you got out of mental health to do trauma work like you you wanted to take care of yourself and you did that and I was like yeah and it worked like that's yeah. that's that's what helped you know was that I was supported by an agency while I was doing the toughest work I've ever done you know yeah and, and that really does make such a huge it difference. makes such a difference you know like I I know people that struggle with their mental health like self-worth and things like that and they're working at at a commonplace store Right. Yeah. And I'm working with survivors that have the worst trauma that most people have ever heard of. Yeah. And it doesn't infect me as much because of the support that I have. Right. Right. And so like if employers would recognize the impact that they have on their employees, I think a lot would change. Yeah. The world would be happier. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I was going to say while we're like on, I, if, if you don't mind, I want to share something really cool that like my agency does that I really, really love that, um, the last two hours of the work week, um, we close the office and that's just our, our debriefing time mm-hmm. that like, so we're not carrying any of any of the like heavy stuff into yes. the weekend. Um, and I've like, I was really, really like shocked about how like helpful that was that I was like, I mean, two hours just to do whatever at the end of the week. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And then, but it's like, it makes a difference, but it makes a huge difference. You know, we're able yep. to like talk about like, Oh, like this wild thing happened. How's everyone feeling about mm-hmm. that? Like, and that's huge. Um, what would you mind talking a little bit more about like what you guys do at yeah. your agency? To- yeah. So one thing that we really prioritize and it's not just like a marketing thing. Cause like it's so hard, you know, like I think there's a huge buzzword, you know, out there right now about like self care and things like that. Um, but what the cocoon does, whether they say self care or not, is they do community care. And that's really mm-hmm. what we promote. Right. So it's not about you taking a bubble bath or doing that kind of stuff. Yeah. They literally tell us that we have to take self care. I'm doing air quotes right now. Um, <laughs> uh, at least a half an hour a week with other coworkers. So oh. they literally carve out time on Fridays where we sit down and we care for each other. We care for ourselves together as a group. Right. Yeah. Um, and, and they also provide um, services for free to us. So we have um, a licensed psychologist that we can talk to at any time. Wow. It's not counseling per se, but we can go to her and say, hey, this has been really tough lately. And she can be like, we should try some coping skills, right? And, yeah. and it's just like, it's a, it's a resource that I think makes such a big impact that, that is so underutilized, you know? 
And uh, and we also have somebody come in that does like yoga and Reiki and things like that on Fridays. Ooh. And just like, and of course, that's not everybody's cup of tea. But yeah. even just having time to sit around and talk about how we're taking care of ourselves right. and how we're taking care of each other. And I also think there's this culture at the cocoon where we we genuinely care about each other. And that yeah. and it's not this like fluffy like we're family. No, like yeah. I genuinely care about the people I work with. Yeah, and I genuinely care about how they're doing. You know, yeah. and that wasn't forced on me. That wasn't that wasn't subscribed. It was yeah. I feel a sense of community with the people I work with, you know. Yeah. And I, I don't know if I can tell you how they've managed that. I think part of that is in the hiring process. They pick like minded people that usually have lived experience that. Yeah genuinely care about other human beings right right and that usually <laughs> you know? i mean that, i feel like that does set it up well to yes. to to like your coworkers yes. and to really truthfully like get along with them and care about them yes. and stuff is kind of having those common common things mm-hmm. right and like even in our shelter we are one of the few in the in the state that accepts more than just adult women so we accept anyone who has faced violence yeah. And and a lot of times the people who come to our shelter are because they've been turned away at other shelters because they do not identify as an adult woman. <laughs> right. That's and so that's so frustrating. It's yeah. wild to think about, right? And yeah. like um it's 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 maddening because it's it it also perpetuates this idea that only adult women face violence. Well, yeah, I mean, like what we were just talking about <laughs> right, was right. that, yeah, I mean, you know, when you think of, you say DV, yeah, I'm thinking adult woman. Correct, um, correct, and that that is the norm. That is what's yeah. perpetuated, right? But I can tell you right now that we have a lot of trans and non-binary folks that come through our doors that are turned away at every other shelter. Yeah, yeah. Especially if they, even even if they might be AFAB, if, if they now identify differently, yeah. they're turned away. Yeah. And that is so saddening to me because they're already at a higher risk for DV. They're already at a higher risk for violence in general. Right. Yeah. And now you're going to say they're not allowed in just because they don't fit the box that you want them to. Yeah. Right. And then on top of that, and this is where I get really upset. We have young boys that are turned away who are trying to come to shelter with their mothers and people say, Nope, no men here. And it's like, but what? this is this is a ten year old boy. Like how, how you know? And and again, I'm I'm so grateful and so um, honored to work at the cocoon because we do break the standard and we do break the mold. But it's insane to me that that is the standard, right? Yeah. That only adult women and some shelters will will allow you know young girls, but other than that, most shelters do not allow men. LGBTQ folks or young boys into their shelters. And I, I don't understand how we want to change the culture of violence if we're not going to accept that more than just adult women face yeah. violence. Yeah, yeah. Well, because, I mean, I remember when I went to college, like, there was the, you know, men can be victims too, mm-hmm. men can be victims too, which, like, okay, great that, like, now we've hit two two populations. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, two is better than one yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, but like, but the system hasn't changed. I was gonna say, but so we might know, talk about infras- it. Yeah, we're talking about you know men, like men too. But but yeah, like if we don't have the infrastructure yep. to support that, like okay, great. Now we've like hyped everyone up. Like mm-hmm. you can come forward too. But then like, uh, I right. was I wasn't expecting <laughs> not, actually. Not you. I wasn't really <laughs> expecting you. Um. Right. Right. Yeah. And and then if we even get into when it comes to like race or religion, there are so uh. many. Um, agencies that are Christian-based, which is wonderful, and they support the the they support people, and I'm really grateful for them. Yeah, but it means that folks who do not identify as Christian do not feel safe there, 
right? Yeah. We've recently had a family that came through that was Muslim and they would not have felt safe in a Christian organization. Yeah. And so now that means that that family who is not white and who is not Christian does not get the services that they need. That's you upsetting. Know? It's very upsetting. Yeah. And, and on top of that, it, the family was not all female, so they would have been turned away for that reason as well, right? right. So now you've got a family of four that are unsafe and would have been on the streets yeah. if it weren't for an agency that could have taken them in. Yeah. Right. Oh my gosh. And that's, that's just wild for me to think about that. It is more important for you to uphold your values than to support a family in need. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, okay. I'm, I, now I'm just kind of curious about <laughs> like, um, so like clearly you guys have a, like significantly lower barriers than most places, yes. but like, I'm just kind of curious about like what, um, like, I guess I'm just kind of curious more about like, what you're kind of, I don't want to say stipulations on, mm -hmm. on serving people. Like I'm sure there are some rules, yeah, um, yeah. but like the standards. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. So I'm just curious about who, who, who you serve then since like, you know, we, we've already uh, taken a lot of these mm -hmm. boxes out of the equation. So I'm, yes. Yeah. yeah. So if you go to our website, cocoon.org. Um, but, uh, it literally says we will serve anyone regardless of race, religion, or gender. And, and we really mean that. And so we obviously still have to take in demographic information just for our funding purposes. Right. But other than that, we do not discriminate against race, religion, or gender. And that means that we have a full shelter all the time. Yeah. You know, and we sure. are constantly getting calls saying, I have nowhere else to go. No one else will accept me. Can I come to your shelter? Yeah. And we try our hardest to to fill those bets because we know that it might mean life or death for some of these people. Yeah. You know, we also don't discriminate against, um, any sort of, uh, addiction or anything like that. That's my next question. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> great. Great. Um, yes. Yeah. <laughs> we got it. Yeah. Um, we do ask that you can't have any paraphernalia or drugs on site. Um, when it comes to alcohol, we do allow alcohol, but you can't be, um, drunk or intoxicated yeah, on, right. on premise. Um, but other than that, we don't, we don't discriminate. And really what it comes down to is as long as you're not causing harm to yourself or others while you're in our building, you're allowed to stay. Yeah. That's um, really sweet. Yeah. And, and so yeah. I know that like that kind of, that kind of like idea of, I don't, I don't want to say like inviting more chaos in, mm -hmm. um, like, uh, you know, a lot of places shy away from that. Like, what do you see any, I don't want to say issues like, mm -hmm. Like I guess, I guess what is that, what is that like having like a significantly yeah. lower, like all, Barrier. all yeah. Yeah. We, <laughs> having a very mixed bag, right? Yeah. yeah. We have a lot of people from a lot of different walks of life and something I should have said earlier, but we also have folks that have dealt with human trafficking in our building as well, mm -hmm. um, which adds just another layer of safety concerns because yeah. that, that population of people that do traffic other humans is it's a very dangerous situation, right? Yeah. Right. Um, so all that being said, we have a lot of um, people from a lot of different lived experiences in our building. And really the way that we manage that is with our community resources. So we do have um, Unison Health is in Bowling Green and yeah. they have a crisis stabilization unit. So when we have someone dealing with a mental health crisis, we're able to call them. Um, they do detox as well, so we're able to call them if that were ever needed. Um, we also have really strong relations with um, Ohio Guidestone, used to be a renewed mine, now yeah. Ohio Guidestone, mm -hmm. um, and Harbor, which does a lot of addiction recovery things. Um, so really connecting to those mental health resources because we are not a mental health institution and yeah. people think that we are, <laughs> you know. <laughs> um, I think, 
you know, it, honestly, if we started viewing trauma work as mental health, we might actually <laughs> change something, really you know, sh- it really should, really should be. be, I'm crossing my fingers. Yeah. Um, so it's kind of just like one of those like adjacent, like a lot of places yes. it's like, okay, yeah, like, yeah, we got to deal with that. But like, you know, let's deal with this first. Right. But like, right. But it's like, we should try tra- at the same time. Trauma. Like, yeah. Like it goes trauma, hand in hand. It really, yeah. it really does. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And like a lot of the, you know, I'm a firm believer that a lot of the symptoms that we see, like, you know, that sure, like, are definitely diagnosable conditions. Yes, yeah. Um, but what but was lot, the cause? But yeah. a lot of that, yeah, like, probably originated mm-hmm. with some trauma. Yes. And we, if maybe if we, maybe if we, you know, delve, delved, delved, dove, dove into that. Oh. Yeah. You're good. <laughs> <laughs> we dove into that. Yeah. Then, you know, like, maybe we right. might be able to, like, well, I like real, real change. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Wild. Um, I literally just posted something on my Instagram this morning that was like, um, folks with uh, complex PTSD that are diagnosed with ADHD are usually misdiagnosed. And it's because we don't recognize that trauma creates the same response in our body that ADHD presents as. Absolutely. You know, and I don't think we're ready as a system to acknowledge that or treat that or handle that because there's no drug to help with PTSD. <laughs> no, and I mean, we all talk trauma-informed care, trauma-informed mm-hmm. care, trauma-informed care, which is great, but like... What does that mean? But what do we... Do? Yeah, what does like, that look what, like? Yeah, what, do we, what actually are we doing with that? Right, like, right. I could spit off the six pillars of trauma-informed care, but like, what do I actually say to people to make sure they know that that's what I'm doing? Yeah, and, right. yeah, and how do you truthfully like embody yep. that? Yep. Um, yep. Well, and then... Again, I don't know if we'll have time today, Um, but if we get into like when it comes to mental health services, having to diagnose in order to treat is a slippery slope. And it means that people are getting diagnoses that maybe aren't accurate, right? I was just telling someone um, recently, my entire life I was told, you're right on the cusp of depression and anxiety. And I'm like, how do you treat being on the cusp of something? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) You know, they they were like, well, you're like... You know, because there's all these scales and things like that that can tell a provider, you know, how severe uh, something is. Yeah. And and they were like, well, you're you're right right below the threshold. And I'm like, okay, so that means you don't want to you don't want to medicate me, which I'm fine with. But then how do how do we manage that? Because I'm I'm still it's affecting my daily living. So like, how do we <laughs> what do we do about it? Yeah. You know. And so for so long they were just like, you're right on the cusp, and I'm like, well, that's not helpful. And no. then recently I I got an official diagnosis, and it's still not medicatable. I'm not I I there is no medication to change it, but it's be, it's based in trauma, right? And so, like, I even want to share kind of some of that, too, because it's I think it's something that people don't want to talk about is diagnoses that that can't be fixed with medication, because I think so many mental health, mental health agencies want to medicate in order to make the process go quicker. And sometimes that's not the right way to go about it, especially when we're talking about trauma, because it's not going to go quickly. Right. Right. Um, But I recently uh, (laughs) I it's funny because I I just started seeing a new therapist, which everybody should be seeing a therapist in my opinion. Um, but, uh, just saw mine yesterday. Right? <laughs> I see mine next week. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, um, it's, it was funny because, uh, I had been seeing them for a couple months and, you know, we, we had talked a lot about my history and, and currently what I've been struggling with and, and all that kind of stuff. And then I have been taking my social work classes and I came across this diagnosis and I was like, feel like I hit all these boxes like this seems accurate right and so I went to my therapist and I was like 
is this what you diagnosed me with? Which is uh, being a social worker, I know, is not really the right way to go about that, but it doesn't really matter. It does create a funny dynamic yeah. in therapy, <laughs> though, when you're like very well, like yep. when I know the information and then it's like, you know, I, <laughs> I found this. Is this right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but I went to them and I was like, you know, we learned about obsessive compulsive personality disorder this seems to fit pretty accurately. And they were like, well, tell me, you know, they did the whole social worker thing. They were like, well, tell me why you think that's why what you have. And I was like, well, screw you. I, you're good at your job. Um, and I was like, well, you know, I'm, I'm very much, uh, detail oriented, but like to an extent that perfectionism is a, is an issue. Right. And like trying to make sure everything is exactly how I think it should be and like a high standard of ethics and things like that. And it can really become a barrier rather than, um, a positive thing, right? Because I think one of the reasons that it's hard to diagnose and, and easy to cope with is that it makes me very good at my job because I want everything to be as good as it can be, right? Yeah. And mm-hmm. it means that people don't recognize that it's actually a problem rather than me just having like a really strong work ethic, right? Like, yeah, right, yeah, <laughs> right. yeah. <laughs> yeah, and um, so it's been really interesting talking to my therapist about it because they're like, you know, growing up, you didn't have control over anything. You, you, nothing was perfect. Nothing was good sometimes. Right. And so you learn to cope by making what you could as perfect as it could be. Right. Yeah. And even more than that, we talk a lot about how, what, you know, what, what does it look like if you don't, you know, make everything perfect or, you know, what does it look like if you fail once in a while? And, you know, because of my history with trauma, I'm honest with her or them. And, uh, I tell them, I, I don't feel safe when, when I can't have things perfect because, yeah. um, the world was angry with me when things weren't perfect. Right? Yeah. And so working through those pieces of it and saying, you know, I am safe when I'm not perfect. I am safe when things don't go the way I want them to. Right. Um, and, and that, that's really difficult. Yeah. <laughs> Especially when you're working with other survivors of violence because nothing is perfect ever. Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> and so, how, yeah, it's how been, how do you, how do you cope with that? Yeah. <laughs> um, well, I, uh, tell myself on a regular basis that I don't have to be perfect and that I can only control so many things in my life. Right. Yeah. And obviously, there are times where it is more difficult than others. And I think it really helps again, that I have supportive coworkers. I have a supportive partner. I have supportive people in my life. So when things don't go well, I can call them and be like, this was a shit show. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But it really takes a lot of space and a lot of decompression sometimes because I have to be on and be comfortable failing and then I have to step away and go, that was really uncomfortable. And I didn't like that at all, you know? Yeah. Um, right. And sometimes that's really not fun. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and so, and, and I think the other hard thing is too, is that along with, at least for me, OCPD also does have some obsessive thoughts in, in the way of like, oh my God, you totally screwed that up. Like that was terrible. And like that just is constantly going on in my head, right? Yeah. And so also learning to settle those thoughts a little bit, you know, and, and even I'm I'm very much a, a verbal processor. So this is, yeah. you know, that's why I love this space, you <laughs> <Yeah>. know? <laughs> um, but just the idea that I uh, can talk to somebody about it, not just with my therapist, but, you know, with yeah. the people around me um, 
really makes a difference. Uh, I am not like a journaler because that feels even more obsessive because I'll write it and then I'll read it and then I'll hate it and then I'll have to scratch it out and then rewrite it. And then, you know, so like for me, journaling doesn't help. And that's also something that (laughs) other mental health professionals hate that I don't like to journal. And I'm like, I'm glad I've found a fellow. Like I, I, I I can't, I'm too critical, you know? And it was one of those things where like, um, one of the reasons that I also figured it out early on working with my therapist was they were constantly saying like, it sounds like that was hard for you to fail at. And I was like, I didn't fail at it. And they were like, well, it's okay if you did, you know, <laughs> but I didn't. <laughs> right. So <laughs> Right. Or they'd be like, well, it sounds like you were really trying to make that as perfect as you could be. And I'm like, no, I don't have perfectionism, you know, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I yeah. get really frustrated about it. And yeah. then I finally sat with it and I was like, Oh, okay, I got it now, you know, like I hear you. And, and so it's one of those things, like when it comes to trauma and diagnosing people with trauma, I do think it can be liberating at times, but then it really comes down to how are you handling it once you have diagnosed it or have pointed it out. Right. Yeah. Um, and that's where I'm really grateful for my therapist because they are trauma informed and trauma trained and, and actually have trauma training to back up their trauma informed principles, Mm, you know? Um, so like one of the things that they have is trauma focused, um, cognitive behavioral therapy. Um, Mm. so it's just like a flavorful version of CBT, you know? Um, but it's exciting. Right. Right. And so like the whole idea is just that, um, CBT is not always meant for folks with trauma. So how can we make it more trauma focused? Right. And how can we make it more applicable to folks with trauma? Um, because pointing out to me that this thing happened, I felt this way, I did this thing. And then this other thing happened is not always helpful to me because it's not that linear and I don't understand it. And even pointing it out doesn't make me feel any differently about it. Right. Yeah. And so how, how do you go about processing things in a different manner that is actually impactful without losing the clinical aspect of it? Yeah. So yeah, yeah, and you've had good good luck with really this. good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Although I've not really heard much. I I think this yeah. is like the first time I've heard it. Actually, yeah. Go so look up like TFCBT. It's great. Um, they do a lot of uh, a mixture of things, but that is the the basis of the work that my therapist and I do. Um, yeah, it's been great. Although they did. <laughs> I, I also think for fellow social workers out there, please get comfortable confronting your clients. Confront like confrontation does not mean conflict. Like yeah. please like talk to your clients about the things you notice, because if you're not saying it, they're not, they, they're yeah. not seeing it either. You yeah. know? Well, and I mean, I know like at least sometimes like I, like I don't want to talk about it. Like mm-hmm. I know it's there, but yeah, I'm right. avoiding it and you're not bringing or, it up. So we're right. <laughs> or I'm completely oblivious because yeah. several times they've said something and I'm like, Oh, yuck why why'd you have to point that out yeah (laughs) like okay yeah and it's never like a bad thing but you know um like recently well when we first started talking uh they they pointed out they were like um so tell me like how you felt about your childhood and I was like yeah I mean it was fine they were like so do you recognize that you were like homeless at one point and I was like was I (laughs) was that a that was a thing. Oh yeah. yeah, I mean, I, oh yeah, I guess. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Uh, sure. I see that now. (laughs) You know, like it's one of those things where like as a kid it's normalized. Like I was just talking to somebody about this the other day. I would have never said that I was a part of a DV situation as a kid. That's not something, even sexual assault, like the, the assault that I dealt with was not like a violent, um, you know, it was, it wasn't like, uh, 
stereotypical. I was going to say, I mean, again, we have those very like set yes. stereotypes yes. of like, oh, well, if this specific thing didn't happen to you, then. Right. It wasn't actually a thing, yeah. you know? And like, yeah. as a, as a six year old, as a eight year old, I wouldn't have recognized it as domestic and sexual violence. And yeah. so I also think having a therapist who can be like, do you, do you recognize that that was like not good and that now it's having an impact in this way on your life? You know, yeah. that's trauma focused. Yeah. That's trauma informed because yeah. again, my coping skill as a survivor has always been to just keep going, just keep working, right. keep moving. And so sometimes I don't recognize what that was. Right. Yeah. Um, but recently I, uh, I saw them a couple of weeks ago and they were like, you seem like you're doing really good. And I was like, I am like, I feel great. Like things are going really well. And they were like, so can we start working on your trauma? And I was like, like what? <laughs> no. can, I, can I just be happy? And yeah. they're like, well, okay. But like, we couldn't work on it. Cause you were, you were struggling a little bit. Like now you're doing better. Could we like deal with it? And I'm like, yeah. I, can I just have like a week off? <laughs> like, <laughs> can I have a week right? off? <laughs> can I just enjoy the week, right, please? Right, you know, um, you know, and it was really helpful to talk to them about the fact that like, um, and I think this is also something we struggle with is obviously when you're in the thick of it, you need to be using those coping skills and doing the things. But what's really impactful is when you're having a good week, you feel stable. That's when you actually have to do the work because that's when your brain is actually able to process the things. Yeah. Nobody wants to do that. Yeah, <laughs> right. Right. I am one of those people. Yeah, <laughs> right. yeah, yeah. Um, Aren't we all? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because it's like I, I'm, I'm actually feeling good today, and I didn't feel like I had to work to feel good today, and I yeah. don't want to have to work to stay feeling good. Right. But that's kind of the point. That's the that's the whole deal. Right. You know? Um. So yeah, and I guess um, not to jump around, but before I forget about it, I yeah. do want to say like back to the whole idea of unless it's stereotypical experiences that it doesn't it's it's not real it's not a thing right yeah. like I, I wanted to come back to this yeah too, yeah so. <laughs> <laughs> like I I remember um so like for for the ironically for my experience the DV situation felt like a one and done event which is not typical for most DV survivors yeah. it's usually an ongoing like struggle for years and years whereas my recollection of that time in my life because I was so young was very much like a one and done event. The police showed up and then it was over with. Right. Yeah. However, the sexual assault was ongoing and it was constant and it was not violent. And so yeah. like, I didn't view it as my personal boundaries being violated. And I think that that is really where the conversation needs to be talked about. And that's really what I focus on when I talk to kids about sexual assault is that it's not about, a one and done event and you go, holy shit, like that was, that was bad. Right. Yeah. Whereas for me, it was my personal boundaries being crossed weekly. Right. Yeah. You know, and by someone who's very close to me. Cause I also think we think about, especially with human trafficking, I could go on a whole rant. It's not strangers in a van. Right. Like it's not somebody yeah. scooping you up and kidnapping you. Right. It's your best friend's brother. Right. It's, yeah. it's your, you know, family member. It's, it's very rarely when it comes to human trafficking, a random person. And I, saying, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, if I'm wrong, but like, gen like un under all the things under this umbrella, it's, it's 
generally a, like a very close very pers- close, close person in, right yep. yeah. yeah and it's ongoing so yeah. it's not it's not like they scooped you up and then all of a sudden you're in this world right yeah it's it's a slow manipulative process coercion and and you're convinced that it's the right place to be and the right thing to be doing yeah and I don't think we talk enough about human trafficking in that way because you know like just recently I had someone be like did you see that new movie like the the sound of freedom or what whatever that I haven't a, seen it so I'm I don't not know a movie person, yeah yeah so I, I, don't, I don't remember the name of it but it's this movie that just came out that's like a dramatized version of these kids from Cuba being um, kidnapped and then put into the sex slave oh, industry. Oh, you know what? I did hear about this. Yes, yeah. yeah. And someone recently um, was like, D- did you see that? That was just such a good movie. And I was like, actually, it was very dramatized and it wasn't very accurate, especially not for what's happening in the United States. Yeah, because I, I got a similar recommendation. Mm-hmm. They were like, hey, you're into social work stuff. Yeah. Like, you know, you should you really like check trauma. It. You, yeah. should, <laughs> you should traumatize yourself and watch yeah. this movie. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So. yeah. Um, and, and it's just unfortunate because I, and I do know that um some lesser fortunate countries are dealing with that where it is kidnapping and it is you know that type of human trafficking but in the united states it is very much community familial coercion and we we don't want to talk about that right and and so like for my my experiences it was my best friend's brother and it was constant and i i think what's hard is that i had convinced myself as a child, like a literal child, that it was my choice and that I wanted it yeah. because that's what I was told. Yeah. Right. Well, yeah. You know, you that's know, like how the manipulation right? goes, <laughs> kind of how it works. You <laughs> yeah. Know? Right. And then, you know, I tried to talk to my best friend about it and she told me, well, how could you say she got very offended and defensive. She's like, how could you say that he's already got allegations against him from somebody else? Why would you say that? You know, and, what? and, and again, we were both young you know, I think I was like eight or nine at the time when it started. So like, I get it. Like she was also eight or nine. I, I understand. Yeah. But at the same time, (laughs) you know, I get, well, I guess I was like 10 or 11, but it doesn't matter. We were children. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's another like kind of interesting point that like a lot of times, like we don't want to talk to kids about this stuff, you know, like this is like, this is not children's business. Right. But the thing is, is it is. It literally is. It is. And you know, like children are, are like of our most vulnerable, Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, I mean, I feel like many people have that same experience of like, you know, in that moment as a kid, you're mm-hmm. experiencing it and you're like, yeah, you know, I'm, this is, this is cool. Like I'm in control right. of this situation. Yep. Um, that like, you don't even realize till years later yep. that you're like, hold on a minute. Right. That was, that was messed up. Right. That was not good. You know? Yeah. And I also, um, my, uh, coping skill is to laugh at things. Um, so like I used to tell my story all the time to people I just met and they'd be like, that's really fucked up. And I'm like. Um, I mean, it happened to me. Like, it's really not that big a deal. Oh, the classic trauma dump. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> That's me. Um, and, uh, and so I'd tell people and they were like, that's no, that's not okay. And I'm like, but it, it has to be okay because it happened to me. And if it's not okay, then I'm not, I'm, then I'm not okay. Right? <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. You know, and I don't think people really, uh, recognize the impact that they have on children when they're going through things like that. Like if a kid comes to you and says that that happened to them, your first response should not be, well, how could you say that? <laughs> you know, like, yeah. um, and again, like I, I, I feel very, um, healed and removed from that situation now, 20 years later. But at the same time, it's like, because of my experience, I am trying to educate others yeah. on how to deal with it because no one is comfortable talking to kids about sexual assault. 
no one. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. No, and people like really don't like it either. No, like they're no, they not don't only like uncomfortable, yeah. but yeah, like really against yes, that. Yes, very angry about it. Yeah, yes. like even the thought that um, someone could experience it, and so that's also why um, like I feel very comfortable sharing my story because I'm like, it it did happen, and it happened to me, and it wasn't violent, so there wasn't any proof of it right and so then like how do you even you know I would never want to go to court or anything like that and then there's a ton of stigma around that and how you know like this happened to you why wouldn't you want to prosecute and things like that and it's like it will not help me feel any differently about it right right and I think that's another thing we have to talk about especially if we're talking about DV this is the person I've loved for 20 years potentially why would I want to take them to court yeah I mean if not longer like Right. And so it's it's one of those things where there's just so much stigma and so much um, preconceived notions about what someone should do in that situation. And I, I just really hope that society starts to turn around a little bit. You know, like yeah. I can't tell you how many times at the cocoon, you know, like a big portion of my job, not just prevention, but outreach and awareness. I can't tell you how many folks have come to us and said, I, I just appreciate what you do so much. I just had an intervention with someone the other day that they just had to call. Like I sat them down and forced them to call you. And I'm like, great. That's- so you're doing the same thing their abuser did. Like you're for, you're taking their power and control away. Yeah. Right now. And that is one of the hardest things about working with survivors is like I was saying, like they have, they should have empowerment over their own lives. Right. And sometimes that means that we, they don't do what we think they should be doing. Yeah. You know, and, and that's really hard for a lot of people to, to sit with and understand, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. Something. Okay. I, I do want to, I do want to dig into like, I do want to talk about stigma a bit more, but mm-hmm. I wanted to backtrack really quick yeah. um, about kind of, would you be able to talk about kind of what your journey of kind of recognizing that like what happened to you was traumatic, <laughs> like kind of like <laughs> that, it, that it wasn't just like a normal kid's child. <laughs> yeah. 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 Kind of like, what was that? What was that process like for you? Because yeah. like, you know, I know that can be very difficult for a lot of people yeah. um, recognizing the. Yeah. Ooh, yeah. Ooh. I mean, well, um, Real quick, a funny story before, because obviously got to start with the funny. Um, (laughs) Of course. (laughs) So I've been working at the Cocoon for a year now. We literally are a domestic and sexual violence advocacy agency. That's literally what it says under our logo, right? right? Told my mother this when I got the job just a month or two ago. She goes, did you, what, what do you do again? And I was like, yeah, like I work with survivors of domestic and sexual violence. Did you do that? Because of like what happened to me? And I'm like, (laughs) (laughs) um, well, it happened to both of us, but yeah, yeah totally. Us? <laughs> we are, right. <laughs> you know, so um, I, you know, and my mom did everything she could, you know, like she was a single mom my whole life. Um, right. She she really did everything she could. And my dad is extremely supportive and I love him dearly. And his wife is amazing. So like, I, I definitely think that like in terms of where I'm at today, it's because of those people. But in terms of how I came to believe that I had traumatic experiences. (laughs) Um, I think that it was just a lot of growing up to some extent, you know, I think it was a lot of settling a little bit because I definitely, the, the way that my mother and I coped was staying busy. If, if we're busy, we don't have to think about it. It didn't happen. If we're constantly doing stuff, then it, we're all good, you know, like, sure, (laughs) right. (laughs) Um, so I definitely think like, as I got older, I recognized one, how tired I was all the time and two, how I, I wasn't feeling any differently or better. Right. And so, 
Um, I will definitely credit my partner right now for some of that because she's like, would you just sit down? Like, could you just stop? Like you get home from work and you're constantly doing something like just sit down. And so I, I definitely credit some of that realization to, to feeling safe and comfortable sitting still. Because I think that's another thing we don't talk about is that it's not just that I have to do the dishes and the dog needs to go out and like the, the guinea pig's cage needs cleaned and all these different things. But it's that if I sit still, the thoughts are there. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so I have to sit, I have to relax and I have to be comfortable with those thoughts. And so I definitely think that's part of it. I also think having a really good therapist is another part of it. Um, and, having the diagnosis that I have and the training that I have, I'm very good at bullshitting. So like, I'm very good with a therapist being like, I'm fine. And they're like, no, you're not. (laughs) And I'm like, Oh, okay. Right. Yeah. No, that, yep. Haven't been sleeping. Like can't sit still. (laughs) Right. That means I'm not okay. Just those things that are are pretty, (laughs) pretty good indicators. Right. Um, (laughs) right. Flashbacks. It's fine. Like I'm doing great. Like, I got an A on this paper, yeah. you know, like <laughs> never been better actually. Right. right, right. Um, so I definitely think having, uh, n- not just a therapist, but people in my life that, that know me well enough and I can feel authentic around right. that say, Hey, you don't seem like you're doing great, you know? Um, and then recognizing what got me to that point. And so, being able to say like, Hey, I wonder if this coping still is because of that thing that happened 20 years ago. Oh shit. Yeah. That probably is why I do that thing. And yeah. you know, like, um, just, just the idea that it's, it's, there's always a through line to some extent, you know? Um, and also what I, I, I was just saying this to somebody the other day too, being comfortable when there's not a through line, <laughs> yeah. when I can't figure it out, that's also okay too. Right. Yeah, like right. I, trauma does funky things to your brain. So also, (laughs) (laughs) um, so also when I am thinking a certain way or feeling a certain way, recognizing that I might not be able to figure out what caused it. I might not be able to figure out where that coping skill came from and just being willing to sit with it and going, okay, this is how I'm feeling today. And that's okay. You know? Yeah. Um, because one thing my therapist and I work on a lot is having emotions because that was really unsafe for me when I was growing up. So like being able to cry for no reason, right? Like being able to get frustrated about quote unquote nothing, right? Like that's okay. Right. And, um, and, and again, (laughs) unfortunately my coping skills make me very good at my job, right? No emotions. I can listen to your trauma all day long and I'm fine. Yeah. But then I get home. But are you fine? Right. <laughs> right. I'm fine when I'm with you. Right. Yep. Like I'm fine when I'm sitting with the person that needs my help. Yeah. But then when I go home, I'm not. And yeah. being okay, not being fine. Right. Yeah. And finding ways to cope with that, that are healthy and that are meaningful because journaling's not meaningful to me. So not doing that. Right. Yeah. Like last night I was having a rough day, you know, and I went home and I did my little gay puzzle and I listened to a podcast and I said, right. (laughs) (laughs) And it's a mini puzzle. So it was like really intricate and it was great. Right. Like really, really tiny ones. Yeah. (sighs) Yeah. Wait, what's the brand of them again? I don't know. It comes in like a test tube. Yep. 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 I know the one you're talking about. It was fantastic. Cause I also don't have the attention span for a big one. So I'm like, I can sit here for an hour and finish this one puzzle and then the dopamine is like you finished it good job you know like (laughs) nice (laughs) um and I was listening to midnight gospel and it was just great it was a fun great time and my partner came back and she was like 
hey, you were feeling a certain way. Are you feeling better now? And I'm like, I am feeling better now, <laughs> right? So like- Actually, now I <laughs> the, am. The thing worked. It's wild, you yeah, know? Like, right. <laughs> but like also like trauma brain, convincing myself that I deserve to sit down and like that deserving, whew, that's rough. Like yeah. deserving to sit and deal with my own issues- yuck like yeah. <laughs> right right like, right i'm here to take care of everybody else yeah no exactly <laughs> <laughs> i deserve to take care of myself yes. right yes and uh that's that's hard too like it is um and then if you're at an agency that doesn't promote you taking care of yourself you're proven right you don't deserve to take care of yourself you yeah. know so yeah i i also think that's why um I, I'm so grateful for the cocoon in so many ways, but like being told that I deserve to take a break. I deserve to debrief with somebody about a really tough situation. Even if I'm pretending like I'm fine and I'm good, I'm yeah. probably not. And mm -hmm. people recognize that. Right. Yeah. Um, and also having people at work and at home and in general that are willing to call me out and be like, Hey, you don't seem fine. Like, do you yeah. need your gay puzzle right now? Yeah. Right? Like, well, and I mean, that's a really hard thing to do to like, you know, like I, do, I like your support system loves you. And so like, you know, it's uncomfortable to be like, Hey bro, you are not doing right. too hot right now. Like, <laughs> right. right. What, what's up? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, and like being that person for somebody else too. Yeah. Right. Like, um, uh, we we joke all the time my coworkers and I who share an office like my one uh, coworker she she apologizes a lot like she'll run into a table and she'll apologize and I'm like shut up <laughs> and yeah. she's like stop like and I'm like stop like you're fine like you don't need to apologize you're existing in this world yeah. please stop apologizing to an inanimate object right like, right <laughs> you <Yeah>. know <laughs> um, or like a lot of us have a pretty morbid sense of humor so my other coworker will make a joke like oh well. <laughs> It, at least my grandma's dead, so I don't have to deal with it anymore. And I'm like, yeah, ha ha. Like, you know, <laughs> yeah. Like, you know right. and like, I, I think it, I'm just grateful to have coworkers who support me, who I can feel like I can support them. And then the, an agency who gives us the space to do that. Yeah. You know, that's awesome. Um, yeah. Is there any, I guess I'll just kind of, is there anything else that you would like to, yeah. to hit on? I feel like we've covered a, a lot, a lot a of lot. ground. <laughs> <laughs> so I feel um, like most of the stuff we've already talked about, at least in some capacity. Yeah. So just what a, whatever yeah, you, yeah. dealer's um, choice here. Yeah. <laughs> um, I do love good card games. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I just think like one of the cops I wrote along with the other day was like, what should I take away from this conversation yeah. after telling them everything about the cocoon, telling them a lot of my own trauma story, but just because like, yeah. at least that's common ground, you know? And uh, they were like, you know, what should I take away from this? And I'm like, I think what you need to take away from this conversation is don't be afraid to talk to people in your life about the stuff that's going on in your head, no matter what that is. Right. Whether you think that it is perpetuating a stigma or anything like that, like if it's in your head, please talk to somebody about it because right. again, nobody's perfect. We're all human. And as long as your intention is to help people like yeah. get it out, get, talk to somebody. Right. Yeah. Um, also talk to children about sexual assault right. <laughs> because it happens and we need to talk about it. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and not just like the no, no zone. Like, can we please talk about all the pieces of it? Yeah. Right. Like, <laughs> yeah, I know we're like kind of pinched on time here, but like, would you be able to give just like a brief, like, 
like I, I don't want to say like top three tricks for talking yeah. about sexual assault <laughs> with children in an age appropriate yeah, way. Yeah. Like what? I, I think one because I get that question a lot, right? Like how do I talk to my three year old about it? Okay, yeah. well the way you talk to a three year old is going to be different than a four year old or a five year old or a seventeen. Right? Yeah, right? I know that's too super broad. Yeah. Well, uh, but I think one know the kid you're talking to at yeah. least on a baseline level, right? Know what their basic functioning is because one three year old is going to be different than a different three year old, yeah. right? And recognize that they might not understand exactly what you're talking about when you're talking about it, right? Right. Be willing to answer their questions. Be yeah. willing to be surprised by the kid, right? Yeah. So talk about, hey, when someone touches you there and you don't want to be touched there, please tell them to stop. And if they don't stop, go talk to an adult, right? Or go talk to a different adult because, unfortunately, a lot of times it's adults doing the assault, right? Yeah. Um, please know that your body is your own. Right. And no one is allowed to have it except you. Yeah. Those kind of comments. Right. Because a three year old is going to understand that differently than a 10 year old is. Right. And yeah. that's the point. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. And also start younger than you think that you should. Yeah. Because I can confirm working at an agency that deals with sexual assault. It is all ages. Yeah. <laughs> all ages. Not yeah. three and up. Not 10 and up. It is all ages. Yeah. Talk to them about it. Yeah. Right. And. Be comfortable with your own shit to talk to them about it because you're uncomfortable because you don't think it's happening because it is happening. Yeah. <laughs> and like, and yeah. And imagine if like you're uncomfortable trying to talk about it, right. like imagine how they feel exactly. because like they're yep. living it and you're, you are like just trying to talk about it. Right. Like, right. Right. And, and I think that really is the biggest barrier is the, the adults trying to have these conversations are not in a place themselves to be talking about it. Yeah. Go find someone who is, I'm always taking clients. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I would love to help you, you yeah. know, like, um, it's literally my job. So yeah. if you are feeling inequipped, go find someone who is comfortable talking about it. Yeah. And realize that not all counselors and social workers are comfortable talking about it. So yeah. make sure that is at the forefront of the conversation and say, my kid needs to learn about this. Are you comfortable talking about it? Yeah. And if they're right. not, that's okay. And that's their right to not feel comfortable talking about it and go find someone who is. Right. We have some clapping or something. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Because <laughs> um, it's just not everybody's comfortability. It's not everybody's yeah. wheelhouse, you know. Right. And and again, social workers are humans, counselors are humans, and we're allowed to say no to things. Yeah. That's called consent. <laughs> right? Uh, yeah. It's wild. When we teach yeah. it to others, we deserve it ourselves, right? Truthfully, yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, like, children's advocacy centers, there are people that work at those agencies that are trained in this kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, when we talk about um, sexual and domestic violence agency centers, there are people there that are trained to talk about this stuff find people who are comfortable with it and if you don't want someone else talking about it find someone who will teach you how to talk about it yeah right or go to therapy so you can deal with your own stuff so you do feel comfortable talking about it yeah, yeah. that's what i want you to take from go to therapy go that, to therapy valid. Take, away, <laughs> take away is go to therapy go to therapy um yeah because like it it is happening yeah and I, you know no matter how many presentations i give no matter how many kids i talk to it's gonna keep happening yeah which means we got to talk about it. Yeah, right. absolutely. And I know we're cutting short on time, but like a big thing that I'm talking about right now in my job and something I want to also focus on because this is how real change happens is talking to and about people that are causing the harm, right? Yeah. If we're only working with survivors, we're only being reactive. So we need to talk to people who are causing the harm and, yeah. and helping them because right. statistically speaking, they have 
been dealt a bad hand as well, right? Like they have faced trauma, which has caused them to traumatize others. Yeah. Yeah. And if we're not talking to them, we're not changing the cycle. Right. Right. At all. Right. Right. Yeah. No, that is like a very just reactive game of like, we're like, you're never, you're never going to get ahead of that. Correct. Correct. We're just going to just keep running on our silly little hamster wheel here. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. And so, um, I mean, that's a big focus that I'm having in my career broadly, but like at the cocoon specifically, that is something that we're talking about and trying to break the stigma even for advocates. Right. Because I think a lot of times it's easy to be like, I hate men, men suck. Right. And it's like, okay, but especially in queer spaces. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. (laughs) (laughs) We were just talking about that. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like, (laughs) um, it's, it's just, it's very easy to say they cause harm and I hate them. Well, guess what? We all cause harm at some point in our lives. Yeah. We don't like to think about it, but we do, mm-hmm. right? Truthfully. Because of implicit bias, because of anything, right? Yeah. We cause harm. So why do we discriminate against folks who cause harm at the highest level, you know? And and don't get me wrong, it's not easy. Every single day there's a case that comes up where I'm like, do F that person. Like, like yeah. no, like that's not okay, right? So maybe I'm not the person equipped to talk to that that person. Yeah but that doesn't mean that they shouldn't still have the opportunity to learn and try to change. Right. Because it's never going to happen if we don't talk to those people. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 And <laughs> sorry, as you're saying this, I keep thinking about that like little meme that circles around that. Like, how about instead of telling like little girls what they should and shouldn't wear, exactly. like how about we teach boys, like little boys, how to treat little girls. Yep. Like, yeah. <laughs> like literally yesterday working at the fair, I had this, these two boys come up and we have a kids activity all about consent. And I was like, can you guys explain what consent is to me? And they were like, well, it's when a girl says yes. And I'm like, actually, <laughs> it's when a guy asks first. Yeah. You have to ask. Yeah. Right. Like, it's not just somebody saying yes. It's asking, are you right. okay with this? Right. And continuing to ask and knowing that the answer can change. Right. Yeah. And if we even just promoted that thought process. Yeah. Things would start to change. Right. right. But it's left up to the receiving person to agree to it rather than the giving person saying, do you actually want this? <laughs> yeah. Is this okay with you? Yeah. You know? right. um, because coercion and manipulation happens when someone feels like they have to say yes. Yeah. So that line of thinking is not going to work. Yeah. And I mean, especially those leading questions Correct. and like just kind of well, don't assuming. You want this? Isn't, like, this, isn't this what you asked for? Yeah. That's, like, <laughs> that's not consent. No. <laughs> right. No. <laughs> um, so even just like, I mean, I've been doing this for a year and I still am finding new people and new ways of, of thinking like, oh, we are not as far as I thought we were, right? Like we're not doing as good as I thought we were. So talk to kids. Um. <laughs> so get a therapist and right, talk, talk to talk children. To <laughs> Got it. That's my advice. Yeah. <laughs> Sweet. Yeah. Yeah. Man, this has been just light, fluffy, fun stuff. Yeah. 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 Classic. <laughs> yep. Thursday morning thing. Yeah. 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 Easy peasy, you know? Yeah. Like. No, this has been, I was going to say, unless you have anything else, I would just yeah. like to thank you. I feel you like I could so just keep much. talking. So we should probably. Same. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I, <laughs> no, yeah. thank you so much though. I think this is like, this is great. I think this is a lot of really great information and I'm very grateful that you were able to take time out to yeah. come join yeah. us and say what needs to be said. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you. Yeah. I'm, I'm just grateful that the people around me gave me the space to be able to be in a place to talk about it. So yeah, thank you to all those people. Awesome. <laughs> Shout out. Yeah. <laughs> Shout out to all to my, my sponsors. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and thank you for That's having awesome. me. So. Yeah, of course. Oh, thank of course. you. This was great.
You have been listening to the I Am Somebody podcast. If you are in a mental health crisis, call the Suicide and Crisis Hotline at 988. You can also connect with a crisis counselor by texting HOME, H-O-M-E, to 741-741. In Hancock County, Ohio, you can call the crisis line at 888-936-7116. For Hancock County, Ohio residents, you can contact Focus Recovering Wellness Community at 419-423-5071. NAMI, Hancock County, can be reached at 567-525-3435. LGBTQ plus support can be found at LGBTQ plus Spectrum of Finley by emailing contact at spectrumoffinleylgbt.org. Outside of Hancock County, Use the internet to find local recovery community organizations or your local NAMI chapter. LGBTQ plus youth can call the Trevor Hotline for support at 866-488-7386. If you are a victim of domestic violence, call 800-799-7233 or the Open Arms Hotline at 419-422-4766. If you are the victim of sexual assault, please call 800-656-4673. Marketing support was provided by Amber Keir of the Hysteria Company. I am your compare, Brooke Nissen. The song used is a Walk in the Light by Zach Fletcher and is used under permission of the copyright holder. This podcast was made possible by the support of Associated Charities, the Finley Hancock Community Foundation, the Hancock County Board of Alcohol, Drug Addiction, and Mental Health Services, and donors like you. If you'd like to support this podcast, please visit our website at IamSomebodyPodcast.org. Thank you for listening. I am somebody.